Welcome back to the Dirt Rich Podcast. My name is Jared Lumen, and I'm joined today by Dan Zimmerly for part two of our two-part series on vegetable farming to discuss the business management side of a vegetable farm. We'll discuss things like hiring employees and finances and much more. So, Dan, thanks again for joining me and welcome back to the Dirt Rich Podcast. I'm glad to be back. I always have a lot of fun here, so yeah, excited. Yeah. No, I, I enjoy it too. One of the coolest things I get to do as part of the job, but um, we we spent a lot of the last one talking about the production side of it, and I was really restraining myself from asking a lot of the questions that I had that maybe would lend themselves more to this conversation around the business side. So I've got lots of things that I want to uh, to ask about. And one of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, we, we talked about all the different things that you had going on uh, from uh, in a year from the planting of the seed to the, you know, the the moment you sell it to a customer at a farmer's market or a CSA, however you, you're marketing it, there's a lot of work. And uh, it's also all packed into a short period of time and a busy season, I'm sure, very seasonal, large amount of work in the seasons. And I'm, I'm guess I'm just curious, how do you do that as far as a labor, like from the labor management side of it? And at what point did you and what point do you recommend people look to hire? And, and let's, I guess just a, we'll kind of dig into a conversation around this employee and, uh, you know, hiring employees piece of the business. Right. Yeah. I um, kind of realized pretty early on, I think in my second or third year of farming that I was going to need some, some help uh, in the form of an employee uh, to actually make this thing work. Um, there's just too much for one person to do, especially if you wanted to do more than uh, an acre, which is, you know, where I was at when I started, I was two acres and we're up to just you know three acres now. Um, and I had r- read somewhere or heard from somebody an anecdote about, you know, one person can market farm about one acre, maybe by themselves in a year. And that's about as much as you can do. So just given that I was two acres, I knew I was going to need help. Um, and so initially that just started as a, a very, very, very part-time uh, sort of situation. So I think the person worked like one full day and one half day with us, um, you know, each week during the growing season. Um, and then since then we've grown to, um, I'm planning for next year to have between, uh, I'm going to have one or two full-time seasonal people and then between um probably two or three part-time seasonal people. Um, Seasonal is like 20-ish weeks for us, but it kind of depends on the person we hire to. Um, You know, we could have high schoolers or college kid uh, aged people, uh, which would change things a little bit based on their academic calendar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that kind of, you know, gets into one of the other questions I had is where do you find these people because it you know i imagine in my mind anyway that there's not a lot of people who are willing to only work for a certain amount of time they want guarantees of income 12 months a year or something and you've got obviously a seasonal business how do you find employees who are willing to work seasonally we've so far been very lucky uh, i'll share i guess a couple of my uh secrets uh or like i guess pro tips uh, for how we found people with everybody and the two probably most effective ways uh, have been uh, the first is we've actually just asked our CSA members, like if they knew anybody, you know, if we have 80 CSA members and we figure everybody knows a bunch of people, yeah. one of the CSA members and probably more knows somebody who might be interested in working for our farm. Uh, and that's produced um, several pretty good employees uh, over the years. 
Uh, and then another way is just uh, uh, leveraging Facebook um, and advertising on Facebook. And that's worked fairly well for finding employees for us. We, we have gotten pretty lucky. Um, uh, one of our employees who's gone on to start her own flower farm found us as a result of a grant application that we had written. And so, so we were, we were, she was, she's been one of our, our best employees by far. She's been uh, one of the very few that we've had come back year after year after year. Hmm. Um, mostly because, you know, we're hiring college age kids, not because we're, you know, a terrible work environment, more just like, <laughs> yeah, we're sort of targeting people that are a little more, uh, I guess, uh, like transitory in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, employment and that kind of thing. So, so far we've been lucky. We've been sort of trying to target people that are interested in farming or food or the environment or something sort of in those areas of things, because we're, we're looking for people that are interested in learning as as like this is an experience to also learn and you know get a paycheck at the same time mm-hmm. uh and so that's been then helpful for us and we're trying to be competitive in terms of wages as well um and so we're i mean our job um i'm not gonna lie it's an entry-level type job uh, and so mm-hmm. we're targeting that entry-level like wage and so we're trying to make sure that you know you could work on our farm or you could work at, you know, the gas station in uh, New Richland, one of the nearby towns here, and you would get paid the same. And so, but if you're working on a farm, it's going to be a lot more fun of an environment. You're going to be doing different things every day. You're going to get to take home produce at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh, and those kinds of things. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to learn a lot by working on our farm. You'll figure out if farming is for you or not by working for us. No, and um, well, I'm just curious if you've seen people. You mentioned one person, I guess, who went on to farm on their own. Have you seen? Is that a trend, or are you pretty early in your stages too? So maybe they're still in school, but right, yeah, we've had one person that's gone on to farm, um, and then I guess it's also been helpful for some people. I think they've learned that they maybe don't want to run a small farm. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's it's there's a I think a little bit of a romanticized view of of a small farm and. You know, some of the some of the days just with the weather can be really brutal, you know, in the middle of July uh, when the heat index is like 100 and or 100, you know, 100 plus. It's hot. It's not it's not a ton of fun uh, on those days. Yeah. Um, I mean, we take obviously take extra breaks and, you know, bring in ice cream and things like that. But, yeah, it's uh, it can be rough and people figure out that maybe that's not for them. So. Well, I, I always try to, and I'm actually talking to somebody now who's reached out to me kind of through my other podcast, you know, he's interested in raising cattle. And I, you know, just kind of been telling him that he has no experience at the moment that it's going to be so important for you to get started working for somebody else. If, you know, if nothing else than to make sure that it's even something you want to do. But if you do decide you want to do it, just to learn all the things that you'll never, you'll never you know, pick up on a podcast like this or reading a book or there's there's going to be so many little things that you know that I'll never be able to pull out of you in a conversation that you just you can only get through experience and and so that makes a lot of sense um, yeah for sure but but uh you know so when you bring these people in largely like you said kind of beginning you know untrained at at the specific work um unexperienced uh, is maybe you know the better word uh, you know how do you train them in and your systems your processes and and this in the work that they have to do in a because you know, well i don't remember who it was i was talking about but they talk about a lot of times interns and employees for the first several weeks are more of a drawback than an actual plus because of all the training that goes into them and you're already busy enough so i'm just curious how you you'd make that that happen 
Yeah, um, that's an excellent question. And I, I kind of hear that from other other farmers often about I just don't have time to train, mm. train people and do all the other things that I need to do. Uh, and my my personal experience is that, you know, that sort of like uh, attitude or thought process towards it is is a little bit counterproductive. It's kind of like if you sink in the extra time early on, you're actually going to have more time back uh, mm-hmm. in the future. And so if you take that time to train your person, you, you'll you'll see dividends on that, assuming that they're a good employee and they stick with you. I mean, obviously, you have a little bit of a sunk cost in terms of like training. And then if it doesn't work out with the person, that's that's rough. So um, that really hasn't happened to us, luckily, uh, where we've you know spent a month training someone and then they're like, nope, I'm out. So our training is is kind of we do a, a general kind of orientation. Um, you know, here's where the tools are. Here's kind of where you can expect to find things every day. Here's how you enter in whatever data we're asking uh, them to record, you know, like harvest data uh, and some crop labor data, that kind of thing. And so we we go through all of that as kind of a rough training. Uh, also include a, a food safety piece uh, on that to make sure that everybody is kind of up to speed on what our uh, expectations uh, and requirements are for food safety. And so that that all takes like the just the orientation takes you know, around a day, half day to a day, depends on on the person a little bit. Uh, and then a lot of our training is just uh, shadowing um, either myself or uh, my wife, Lara. Uh, Lara's better uh, at training employees than I am. Um, but I've also, you know, spent a lot of time training people and and we do kind of just shadow as you go. My thought process on things is is kind of like, well, I mean, I could sit down with them and have like a class or something where we talk about, well, this is how you harvest lettuce and this is how you pick sweet corn and this is how you harvest green beans. But by the time we actually get to some of those later season crops, uh, they probably have forgotten all of that already. So in my opinion, it's a little better to just train. Well, here we're picking green beans today. Here's how we pick green beans. Here's how you know that it's it's ripe you know, and let's shadow and see how it goes. Um, and then after a few pickings, you know, they're able to do it on their own without any interaction from us. And if they have questions, we make sure that we're available. They know where to find us and and they know that we want them to ask questions because, you know, we would rather have them do it correctly than have them do it incorrectly and have to redo it. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I think that's a really good point that I, I maybe, I think I heard you say there is that you know, when you contemplated, you know, having this upfront, here's everything you'll need to know for the year, they'll forget it by the time they get to it. So it's just kind of a learn as you go. I think that's a really interesting perspective because I, I think that a lot of people and myself included might think that right at the beginning, you got to teach them everything so that they're set for the summer, but that's probably an inefficient way to teach. And especially if you're trying to teach them something that they can't actually do, the best way to learn is to do. Um, and I think it was, my wife, when she was the store manager at Aldi, I think their kind of policy on training was the first time you watch me do it, the second time I watch you do it, the third time you do it yourself kind of a thing. And that's, mm-hmm. I thought that that sounded similar to what you're saying and makes a lot of sense for training. So Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that. That's a great, a great uh, um, mantra, I guess, for training. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think it was, I think it was you and maybe it wasn't, but I thought in the last episode, maybe even, did you mention that you kind of have read the lean farm and then that that's kind of something that you do? I'm curious, you know, maybe explain what that process is. I've, I've listened to the audiobook of that, but what, what that yeah. is and how has that made the process of, you know, employees working in, in this business more yeah. efficient? So we try to incorporate, um, 
we try to incorporate uh, many of those principles from uh, the lean farm uh, into the training uh, and try to just continually reiterate how efficiency is so important and like not wasting steps or moves is important. So we try to teach that concept of, of moves uh, and what that is. And just for the, the listeners, um, basically any, any movement that you make is, is considered a move. So even something as simple as moving your hand from the green bean plant, you know, with a green bean in your hand into your harvest bucket or tote or whatever, that's a move. And it seems, you know, we talked about this last episode, it yeah. seems so trivial uh, to just, you know, moving your hand, how could that add up to a lot of time? But I mean, you're picking thousands and thousands of green beans. And so those little fractions of a second, you know, turn into minutes per picking, which turns into hours, you know, per week or per month. And so it, mm -hmm. it really does make a huge difference. And we take that same concept to everything else. So like if you're if you're backtracking back and forth when you're doing something, that's probably an inefficient way to do it. Um, and just trying to kind of keep that in mind uh, with everything that we do on the farm, with weeding, uh, with work in the pack shed, washing, cleaning, all that, uh, and then just harvesting individual crops too. It's, it's how can you minimize uh, the moves required to do this task? Yeah. And, and I think, do they also talk about like tool, everything as a place, you, you know, every, everything has a purpose. If it doesn't get used, it's not there. Like, I mean, you know, just efficiency and all of the equipment and stuff too. I imagine that helps them, especially with employees that maybe don't know, you know, aren't around all the time. If everything has a place, they know where to go kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah. We, on our farm, everything is, it, it could be, what I really want to do is have labels for stuff. I don't have labels right now and I should, but all of the stuff sort of has a, a place where it lives. Yeah. Um, I, I think in the lean farm, they talk about having like a, um, like a tool shed, like down in the field, which I would, I would love to actually do. I haven't done that yet. Um, so we have kind of more of a, a centralized hub for where tools are. And depending on what the tool is, it's either in our pack shed or, or a larger, just general storage shed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, that's part of the initial training. So the employees know where, where things are, uh, or where you can find them. And so that, I mean, that works pretty well. Like they, and stuff is in a sort of logical place too. Like the, the packaging materials that we use are, you know, we have a shelving unit, several shelving units in the pack shed, the packaging materials are nearby. Mm -hmm. um, so staff knows, you know, where they are. And if they get low, they notify me or add it to our, our task uh, tracking app that we use uh, so that I can, you know, reorder supplies as needed on the go. So sure. I guess on this employment thing, there's obviously stuff that is worth what are they, you know, the $50 an hour, $100 an hour jobs versus the $10, $20 an hour jobs. How do you add, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, delegate, you know, how do you decide who does what and what, which are, what are some of the tasks and jobs that you typically, you know, have some of the employees do versus you and what do you focus your time on? Sure. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And this is something I've been kind of thinking about a lot this past year because I've, I've sort of determined that the the number of jobs that only I do needs to be lower so that I have more time to focus on some other things that are, are more important. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, just from historically, I've done most of the sort of, I've done all of the seeding 
and I've done kind of like the layout as far as like if if they're gonna be transplanting something lettuce or broccoli or cabbage or whatever uh, I'm usually uh, involved in at least getting the layout set up they might actually end up doing the transplanting but I'm like setting up the rows and those kinds of things Mm -hmm. and so that's one of the jobs where I want to start with some stuff. Uh, I want to start just having the staff be able to do that without having to interact with me per se. And so we use an app. Uh, we use Microsoft to do. It's just a to do list app. Mm-hmm. It used to be called Wonderlist, And I think uh, Microsoft bought it or something. At any rate, it, it works very well for keeping track of tasks in sort of a pretty simple uh, and efficient manner. So I you know, it's it's usually, you know, the night before, the morning of, before staff shows up for work that day, I'm updating that task list with um, whatever needs to be done for the day. Um, and so that could be harvesting, weeding, uh, putting together a wholesale order. All of those things go into that app, uh, including just like the, you know, the odd jobs too that, that show up over the course of the season. Um, and that app has the ability to assign uh, tasks to a person. Uh, so we utilize that. Um, and also just to like make sure staff knows that, well, this job is a, is a, we call them Dan jobs, uh, just jobs that I do or that I don't trust someone else to do. But we also try to make sure that as much as possible, we're all doing the work together so that our staff doesn't feel like they're always getting the, like the bad jobs, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They always get stuck doing the hand weeding while Dan and Laura are doing mm. the fun stuff, you know, the, the, the air tractor work. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we try to make sure it's it's a definitely a team effort, even with uh, Laura and myself. You know, the owners of the farm. You know, we're out there hand weeding, out there picking green beans, those kinds of things too, just to kind of make sure our staff knows that you know they're not just the grunts. Uh, yeah. You know, we're 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 out there with them. That's a good point. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, the jobs that I guess uh, will continue to be uh, Dan jobs is is going to be any kind of type of tractor work. I just there's not enough of it to justify training uh, sure. and and taking on the additional risk. Um, and so that is always going to be something that that I will continue to do at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, some of the seeding because a lot of the seeding, direct seeding, anyways. Um, is there's a lot of things to pay attention to uh, between row spacing and making sure that the seeds are getting uh, singulated out appropriately and making sure you're using the right amount of seeds per uh, bed foot uh, and those kinds of things are will remain my jobs however some of the stuff with our cedar has gotten um, especially with the jang cedar which works really well is something that we could probably start having staff run and not have to worry about uh, you know, did they get enough seeds down? Was the spacing right? All those kinds of things. So, well, I, I like the uh, the perspective on you being involved because that makes a lot of sense. That you don't want, um, you know, mindset and in your employees is going to be pretty important and more at morale and everything. And for them to, you know, constantly see you in the office running numbers, thinking, you know, they, they may not see you working out there with them. I'm sure that can have a mental, you know, effect on them. So to be with mm-hmm. them, that's that's important. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, yeah. Is there anything else on the employee side before we move kind of on to another topic of the business side that I haven't mentioned or that we haven't talked about? Um, I guess the only other thing is I just want to, again, underscore the education piece of it. Um, You know, that's 
we recognize that the wage that that we're able to pay and still you know still make our ends meet is not is not amazing um mm-hmm. it's not terrible either it's not minimum wage um or anything like that but uh we just want to make sure that that uh people are getting like the education piece out of it uh, that's mm-hmm. important to us and i mean we've Actually, hiring employees has been uh, one of the more rewarding experiences of starting the farm because we've gotten to know uh, so many interesting people. It's just been rewarding to to get to know new people and bring new faces onto the farm and, and teach them about farming. So that's been really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of curious on this uh, employee side. There's, I'm sure... Obviously, hiring an employee allows you to be more productive and stuff too. But how did you balance? You know, the if I do it myself, I can keep all this money to myself. You know, I mean, how much has has it? Would you say as overall increased production and profitability, like net profitability, by bringing on staff, or has it reduced profitability? You know, net to the to the operator to the actual uh, you know, bottom line, but increased lifestyle. How would you say that balance has been? Oh, that's that's an excellent question, and I would and say if it gets that, too personal on your finance too. I don't want to. Dig no, 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 not at all. No, you're good. Um, so it it has increased the overall profitability of the farm. Um, if we're training right uh, and we get the right people, um, they are able to contribute to you know the bottom line of the farm basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we give raises. Um, uh, you know, once people get up to speed and are are really contributing, we give raises to recognize people for their you know, their hard work. So to answer your question, yeah, overall, it has increased like the profitability of the farm because we're able to, you know, we're able to sell more CSA shares and we're able to do stuff more efficiently than we were previously, just with just me or just my wife and I. Um, so yes, uh, overall more profitable with employees and for the foreseeable future, uh, I think it'll, it'll be that way too. It's, um, we did an experiment on our farm this year where we were tracking labor for individual crops and every single crop that we tracked, even the one that I thought was going to be least profitable, uh, showed a, a pretty solid margin uh, on everything. So so that's been really good. Um, and then to your point on, on quality of life, I would also say that it's increased our quality of life overall. It's helped us kind of like quit at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we basically, you know, our staff usually leaves at 4.30 on our normal, normal work days. Uh, and maybe we're wrapping things up and like putting a couple things away or just like wrapping up for the day. But we're usually done by five. And I know that's not the case for some of my colleague farmers. You know, they're working really long hours and not yeah. it's hard to quit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that my wife and I have uh, we have a two year old now. But it's just so important to make sure that, you know, we're not just always working. We need to be spending that family time with our daughter. And so that's that's been so important. We make time for that. On top of that, in addition to the quality of life, we uh, also were trialing uh, doing uh, Sunday, Monday weekends for Lara and I. Mm-hmm. So our farm staff would run the farm on Mondays um, because... Laura and I would work Tuesday through Saturday because our big sure. market day is Saturday yeah. and we weren't really getting a full weekend the way mm-hmm. most folks do. And that was something that we want to change. We're, it's still a goal of ours. Um, so we kind of trialed it this year and it worked for a while. And then we had some uh, employee issues, some labor issues that caused it to have to go back to the old ways of just sure. having Sundays off. But yeah. regardless, 
uh, that had worked really well and significantly improved our quality of life. Uh, it was, I mean, June and the first half of July was kind of a dream because it was like we had our weekend. We had yeah. to spend time with Addie. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to go fishing a couple times and just do some fun stuff. And then um, we had some issues in July. And <laughs> then it was like, well, try to do everything that you want to do on the weekend and Sunday and see what yeah. see what happens. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it gave you a taste of what is possible. So, you know, obviously last year didn't work out in the end how it hoped there, but you at least know it's worth worth shooting for. So that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I'm curious, are there like certain, in cattle, you know, they talk about trying to, uh, in most cattle producers aren't able to do it, but in the scaled ones, there's, you know, try to maintain a minimum of like 1,000 cows per full-time equivalent kind of a thing. Or in crop farming, they try to, you know, bump, a lot of farmers will talk about trying to bump up farms in 1,000 acre increments or whatever the number is, because that's what allows you to justify the extra staff, the extra equipment line. If you go up 300 acres or 200 cows, you have that much more work, but it can't quite carry the weight of the overhead that it requires to do it. Do you yeah. see that as, you know, if I bring on another full-time employee, I need to go to four acres and can I, you know, some, is there some sort of, you know, the <laughs> levels of scale that it requires to bring on additional labors and labor units? Yeah, that is an awesome question. I don't actually have a solid answer for that. Um, I would just say that, you know, originally I kind of was figuring in my head, you know, at least one person per acre. But depending on how intensive you're farming and just in terms of like what your rotation is and what you're following up with and which crops you're growing, it's more. Because, I mean, if you kind of figure during the growing growing season or um, not school, my wife's a school teacher, so mm-hmm. she has sure. June, July, August off. We have, um, you know, my wife and I are basically full time on the farm during the summer. I mean, I always am. But my wife and I, and then one to two full-time people. So that's four people for three acres, plus our part-time help. Mm -hmm. Um, So it might be, you know, upwards of five people um, for three acres. So, and I, I, you know, like I said before, you know, it's still profitable to do it, to have more labor because, you know, we're able to just produce, produce more, keep the weeds down, you know, that kind of thing. We're not it just, it makes life easier too, you know, instead of feeling like you have a million things to do, you feel like you have the right amount of work to do most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a little different in, you know, commodity farming versus what you're doing, which is high value, high dollar to compare it to an acre per person or whatever is, I mean, you're producing far more value on an acre than any other commodity producer. So it, you know, it, it can justify the additional labor in ways that commodity commodities just can't but right. i guess we kind of moved into this a little more on the finance side of, of the business and that's something that i'm interested in and, and you know please let me know if there's questions i ask that aren't you're not comfortable sharing but one i guess is the you know the the financing side of it on one hand you know i'm curious and we kind of talked about this i think in either this last episode or something is what equipment's necessary and what things you know you can justify to buy you know, early on, and but a lot of it is going to be, it, it's more, it seems like it's more of a labor intensive business than a capital intensive business in a way. And I'm sure there's lots that you can spend on versus like a commodity or a large row crop farm. So maybe the, the, the need for financing isn't quite as important, but is it, I guess, what kind of operating expenses can you need, you know, can you expect as a, you know, vegetable farmer? And then what, uh, what financing options are there out there for your business model? Cause it's maybe not as common as some of the other ones. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, so big question. I'll try to kind of break it down. Um, and so I think one of the things that's like really attractive about uh, to a lot of people about growing vegetables is is really all you need is a, a small chunk of land and and a hoe to get started, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not going to be super duper efficient at it and you're probably not going to make a ton of money that way. But like you theoretically could get started that way and just, you know, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in a way it is, um, you know, low capital to get going. Um, but I think if you want to make the leap from just getting started to actually farming as a career, it is pretty capital intensive, not as capital intensive as, you know, row crop farming, you know, we don't, we're not buying hundred thousand dollar you know, multiple hundred thousand dollar plus machines to, you know, to combine to 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 work ground those kinds of things. You know, whatever it is, um, but but we do have uh, equipment costs. You know, between the the walk in cooler is a a good expense, a pretty big expense when you're just getting started. Uh, some type of of uh, cedar is usually pretty expensive, uh, or the infrastructure for doing. Um, uh, if you're doing a lot of transplants and um, seeding into trays, um, those costs can add up pretty quick too. And so, so yeah, it, it, it's the way we kind of tackled it. Uh, we started, you know, pretty low, uh, low capital, you know, less than $10,000 uh, to get started. I mean, it was less than 5000 I think, to get started. Wow. And it was all kind of self-financed with the exception of uh, my dad uh, found a we started with just like a garden tractor and tiller. It didn't work very great, but it, that's what we had and it worked. And by our third season, we had actually bought a, a, re, a tractor, a compact utility tractor and a, a tiller for working ground and doing our bed prep and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we financed that. We got a, a loan. Um, at the time, John Deere had some special financing for buying new equipment, like a one and a half percent uh seven year maybe term or something like that's very cheap cheap uh interest so we went with that and it worked well um and then we just kind of you know we're bootstrapping i mean we didn't take out a lot of uh of loans to get going when we finally did start uh taking out was when taking out loans was when we built uh our pack shed and moved from where we were living to actually where we're farming and now living um and so we took out we sold our house. We took out a, a giant construction loan to construct a, a house and then the pack shed. We were able to get uh, some financing through the farm service agency for our pack shed. And then we were also uh, awarded, um, we applied for and received the Minnesota value added grant, uh, which pays for uh, up to 25% of the cost of a you know a qualifying project, which our pack shed was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, our pack shed was uh, the most expensive thing we've ever invested in, in terms of our farm. Um, it was a little north of $100,000 to put up our pack shed, but it also is like uh, the centerpiece of the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we knew that that building had to be uh, kind of all the bells and whistles to check all the boxes uh, and also to be... A, somewhat future proof try to build it as big as we can afford 
uh, early on so that we can grow into it. And mm. I think probably just about everybody, no matter how big you build it, you always wish it was bigger. And yeah. you know, we're in that camp too. And that's just the way it goes. So, so yeah. Uh, so it, 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 to be, I think to have it be a full-time job, it is fairly capital intensive. And then just to, to tackle operating costs. I mean, at the end of the day, the biggest cost is, is labor. Uh, and so what I'm looking at is ways to reduce overall labor, you know, which what money can I spend this year that would reduce uh, labor the most on the farm? Um, because that's where I'm going to, you know, that's where it's going to show up sort of in the in the margin is is if I can reduce the labor cost per unit of whatever, you know, what I'm producing, then the farm is more profitable. So labor is the big one. Um, you know, supplies, equipment, expenses, seeds, fertilizer, all that stuff is, is, you know, everything else is, is probably even less than the the labor, you know, it's just the labor costs the most. Cause I mean, it's, you're harvesting green beans by hand and picking sweet corn by hand. It's labor intensive. There, there isn't a lot of machinery for a two, three acre farm. That's going to help you save a lot of that labor picking beans or corn or whatever. Yeah. No, and that's actually kind of nice because I suppose as opposed to a, <laughs> I compare all these to my experience in my world, which is more of the commodity crop production where all your inputs are at the front end in the spring or you know even prepay the year before and all of your income comes at the end of the year at harvest. Whereas in this, you're operating costs aligned with your income because you're kind of, your, your work, your, your labor costs carry on throughout the summer at the same time that you're selling products. So you're, you're maybe not needing this massive operating note to carry throughout the year because you have income coming in as the labor goes out. Yes, that is a hundred percent right. Um, there's, I would say there's a little bit of a lag time, right? Cause I need people to start working for me like in May. Um, sure. and you know, we're planting stuff that, you know, we won't be harvesting till later on in the summer. So there's like a significant labor cost in May and in June in particular when like our markets haven't quite ramped up yet. It's fine because we still have our CSA program where we are able to have people prepay um, and then have some working capital so that we can get through those first like couple weeks of, of running payroll. Um, and, you know, we're always saving from the previous year just to make sure that we'll, you know, we'll have the capital that we need to make payroll. Uh, when the time rolls around, but it's something that I've been working on uh, and continue to work on is just making the cash flow a little more consistent year round, as opposed to, you know, having a big flush, um, you know, during the the summer when everything's in season, I'd rather try to spread that out throughout the growing season as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our case, it's, I mean, like you said, we're not just doing all of our harvesting, you know, at once in the fall and then selling everything, you know, then and having one, you know, big windfall check or whatever it's mm-hmm. it's spread out so yeah any other tips on that i guess kind of i mean most farmers have some sort of seasonality to their income that you know we all have to kind of deal with but i'm just curious are there any tips that you've found or you would share with people as to how to more do what you're saying your balance out your income across the year or or how to I mean, tips for actually how to manage your money when you do have it seasonal and the times, you know, how to how to balance it to prepare for the times when you don't have it coming in. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's a good question. So how we we manage uh, just our overall, um, I guess, cash flow or income during, throughout the months of the year um, is uh, our CSA contributes pretty greatly to that. Um, and so 
we're actually uh, use some software to manage our CSA. Uh, the platform's called Harvey, um, and they have a, a payment plan um, that allows our members to pay 25% down when they sign up for our CSA, uh, 25% on the first delivery day, uh, and then the remaining 50% is divided out throughout the growing season. Mm. Uh, and so that has really like balanced out the cash flow uh, really nicely because uh, we, we still get that kind of injection of like capital um, kind of in the off season mm. um, that we can use early on. And then we also get another injection in June, which is usually when our first delivery is. Uh, and also when we're still like a little lean on the farm in terms of like, what we have available for sale in June, at least the first half of June is a little, you know, depending on the year, it's not a ton. And so that you having that kind of payment plan software has really kind of balanced things out. Um, and then, you know, that remaining 50% gets divided out during the growing season. So, I mean, if you look at our like cash flow sheet, you'll still see that, you know, over half of the money that we take in comes in in, you know, July, August, September. But, you know, the other half is spread out pretty, I mean, not evenly, but it's spread out during other months. So it's not, it's never zero. We're never making zero dollars in a month. We we always have, we're always bringing in something um, each month. Even in the dead of winter, like January, you know, nothing's growing. You've got income coming in. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's something we've worked on too on our farm is making sure that we have some storage crops available to attend our winter markets. Um, And so, you know, the the markets are, they're not crazy good, but they're, you know, good enough. Um, And I think that like continuity with uh, customers, if you're going to be at the farmer's market is important uh, because you have a lot of regulars that'll come out to the market, you know, every single, every single time that they can. Uh, and so if you're there, it just continues to kind of remind them that, you know, that you exist, here's what you have available. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the dead of winter in January, you know, you can, yeah, I guess, joke with your customers, like, remember how good our lettuce was? Can't <laughs> wait for spring. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. I like that. No, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, and at the end of the day, everybody probably just has to learn their business model and manage through, you know, and I think it's. Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, just figure out your, if you get all of it in one time, figure out your annual expenses and, you know, just, you just budget ahead. I mean, there's just foresight and foreplanning, personal responsibility and, you know, being able to have money in the bank and not spend it is going to be important. But uh, those are some great tips for how you've managed to actually bring income in, which I just assumed was not possible in a, in a model that has largely perishable items that you can't store but it sounds like you find a few that you can but i didn't realize right. that, that it was possible to bring income here around so that's pretty cool mm-hmm. i guess i i don't know what else to ask you know I, one question that i i just in general have is you know it sounds like you you've really built a pretty impressive business and i'm curious is the the for people listening who might want to get into this the potential is there to generate a good life, a good income on a specialty crop vegetable production farm. Uh, you know, that that's, you've done it. it it's clearly possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it comes with a lot of work, but, you know, I mean, to speak to a little bit maybe about, um, yeah, the, the reality that this, the, the reality of the opportunity that a business model like yours has. 
Yeah, I mean, you you can have a, a good, I mean, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to be driving, you know, a Lambo or something like that <laughs> by growing um, uh, vegetables. But you can have a pretty good, you know, middle class lifestyle mm-hmm. um, and support your family uh, and that kind of thing. Um, it takes it takes a lot of work and I guess a lot of expertise. I mean, I don't mean to like toot my own horn or anything like that, but I mean, it takes... I spent, you know, five, the better part of five years sort of bootstrapping the farm, not really taking any sort of personal income off the farm and working an off-farm job to to make it happen. I mean, I think if you had the right skill set right off the get-go, if you spent enough time working on a different farm, you might be able to accelerate that by, you know, you may be able to cut that time in half pretty easily, I would think. But yeah, it takes it takes some time to build up your customer base to build out the systems that you need. Um, and, you know, land access remains a huge issue for a lot of people that want to get into specialty crop production because you only need a few acres. And, you know, most of the chunks of farmland are, are you know, 40, 80, 160 acres. Mm-hmm. And so it's very unaffordable to try and try and buy that. And then you know, the hobby farms are all being bought by really wealthy, you know, city type mm-hmm. people that, you know, want to have their hobby farm or whatever and aren't, you know, so they're, you're competing with people with an awful lot of money to try and buy, you know, if you're buying a 10 acre hobby farm kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's very hard. And so land access is, is I see that continuing to be a major issue, but uh, we got lucky. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the situation for most of the uh, other vegetable growers I talk to. You know, they they all find have a connection with somebody where they're able to get their farm going. Mm-hmm. But uh, one one thing I would talk about that I haven't really talked about, um, just in terms of of going or uh, just I guess financial management and planning is um, uh, well, two things. One is just the general importance of record keeping uh, and how that's played a huge role in helping to sort of guide our farm to where it is today. Um, and so we, from the get-go, we're keeping track of our uh, harvest data for every crop that we grow. So, you know, we knew how many bunches of radish we grew and how many bunches of kale and how many dozen sweet corn and on and on for all the crops we grow. That was instrumental and in just in terms of sort of kind of guiding our crop plan for the upcoming years. On top of that, we were keeping track of our sales data from, from year one. Um, and so we used uh, our square point of sale system, which keeps, we did, we even ran all of our cash transactions mm-hmm. through that. I mean, you just type them in, you don't pay anything for cash mm-hmm. transactions um, and square records the data for you. So we knew how much we sold of everything as well, uh, mm-hmm. which was huge. Yeah. Um, and so using that data, we were able to basically build better crop plans and see where opportunities were for the upcoming years, like where we could grow more of this or less of that to make the the farm more profitable. On top of all of that, uh, we got uh, we took a course. I took a course uh, on holistic financial management, which I think there's a holistic grazing management too. Jared, you may be familiar with that, right? Yeah, they have several levels. I think several different holistic management, uh, crop planning, financial planning. Yeah, grazing. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So we did, yeah, the financial planning course, uh, the Cornell Small Farms has a, mm-hmm. uh, like an online course that's pretty cheap uh, that teaches you how to, I think the spreadsheets and stuff are free to download, but I 
was a little overwhelmed by the spreadsheets when I downloaded them and thought, well, maybe I should take this course to learn how to actually use this spreadsheet. So I did that. And that's been an instrumental tool in terms of just like planning and was instrumental in financing and securing financing and the grant for our pack shed. Like we were able to basically do, you know, we'd been using it for a while. And so we were able to do our, basically our whole financial picture goes into this spreadsheet that includes our off farm farm income and like our personal expenses, our on farm enterprises uh, and farm expenses too. It's all in one sheet. And so that tool, you know, we were able to go to our farm service agency office and say, here's our business, here's our personal, you know, do we qualify for this farm storage facility loan? We want to build this pack shed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, having the numbers there, it's hard to argue with numbers. You know, if you show that you have a profitable business and you want to make this investment into your business to make it more profitable, it's hard for them to say no. Um, mm-hmm. If you can kind of show that you have this historical data, you know, I've been profitable year after year after year. I need this facility so I can be more profitable. You know, here's what I want to build. Here's what I intend on making once this building is done. You know, that that's a powerful tool. And, and same for the the grant. You know, we were able to show part of the grant, you know, that we wrote was to show how we were, this project would increase the amount of value added products that we would contribute to the marketplace. And, you know, we were able to show that. Um, And I think one of the key reasons that we were able to get uh, that grant and that uh, loan through Farm Service Agency. Uh, So that's been big. Uh, And then the last piece I'll say on record keeping, um, where we've kind of taken it to the next level, we just started that this, this growing season 2022. Um, we are keeping track of labor that goes into several individual crops. Uh, and this is important because we want to know where or which crops are most profitable to grow so that if we ever get in a situation where we need to either cut a crop or focus our labor somewhere, we can make better decisions about which crops to save uh, and which crops to sort of ignore because uh, try as we might, we always seem to get in a situation where we have to ignore one of our crops in favor of another crop. And so sure. having data to make that decision is going to be really helpful. It already has uh, shaped and changed what my crop plan for 2023 is going to be just because of the data that I got back from this past season. Um, and so it, it doesn't have to be much uh, to keep track of that. It doesn't take long to fill out. A um, couple minutes, you know, uh, every day when you're working on a particular crop, and and then you have some really valuable data at the end of the year that you can use to make better decisions going forward. Man, I'm so impressed by your data and record keeping, you know, abilities. That's something we we need to do so much better at our place that just doesn't get done, at least not well. And what we do is like manually just typing things into a Google Doc that we then look back at and do the calculations manually. It's super inefficient record and data keeping. So I, I'm really impressed by what yeah. all you're doing there because there's so much value. I mean, you can't make an informed decision unless you have, I mean, we all have what we think, you know, oh, I think that should only take a couple hours a day or whatever to do that. And you find out it takes, you know, whenever you do it, it takes six hours. It's way more, it's t- way more work than you think. But if you didn't actually keep track, you have no idea how to make a decision based off of it. So Yes. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it's huge. And I mean, most most of uh, what we do is in in Google Sheets and we try to keep it pretty simple. 
And I mean, I, I think it's great that you're you're keeping track of stuff in Google Sheets. I mean, it's a great, <laughs> very limited. It have to be like super robust, yeah. and and I don't think it should be like it should be really simple and easy so yeah. that you you do it. Mm-hmm. And then you know during the off season or if you get some downtime, you know then you can go back and and you know create a pie chart or whatever and and yeah. like analyze the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it I would encourage people to sort of start simple too you know like it doesn't have to be this robust giant spreadsheet it should be something that's easy to fill out easy to get started with that'll kind of encourage you to continue to to fill out your sheet or yeah. and i mean pen and paper works fine too you know we we have uh we're lucky enough we have uh internet and a computer in the pack shed so we can record data yeah. in our pack shed but some people, you know, they don't have internet in their pack shed and there isn't a cost effective way to get internet into the pack shed. And so pen and paper works too. It's just, you make sure you gotta, gotta make sure you get that, save it. And I mean, in most yeah. cases, get it into a computer at some point. Yeah. And, and there's on the record keeping thing, it was at the Ranching for Profit School. They talk about how every cattleman has their little book that they keep track of all their birth information of calves and things like that, and how many people ever open it up again and stuff to look at it. And so data is only as good as, you know, only as valuable as you make it by actually making decisions with it. And so being intentional about what data points you keep track of that, you know, because there's a lot of things that we can record that have little or no value but there's also a lot of things that could be extremely valuable if we recorded them and then we actually have to make decisions off of that so that yeah, the point is not to not take data but to not utilize data that you take and also to avoid taking data that really has no purpose just for the sake of curiosity or something so yeah exactly i'll give you an example of data that we yeah. used to track that we don't track we used to track uh several years ago like our uh, basically, like the inventory that we were bringing to the farmers market, mm-hmm. which was kind of fun because, like, you could do the math and figure out, well, if I sold out, here's how many dollars you know I would bring home, uh, and that was kind of fun to do that. But like that data in and of itself was not very useful because I actually had my real sales data from the farmers market that I would get, and that would allow me to make you know some guesses about how much stuff I should bring at the next market. Yeah. So that's a piece of data that we stopped collecting because it just it was it was just for fun, but mostly it was like, oh yeah, yeah. if we had sold out, Great we money. would you know make this much money, and that that's yeah. really cool to think about, but mm-hmm. it was just a waste of time essentially. Yeah, nope, that's a good example. Um, was there anything else on this business side of it? We've talked about record, we've talked about financing, we've talked about employees. What else is there that we haven't touched on? I I think. we just touched on it just a little bit but just like task tracking um we talked about microsoft to do earlier and i would just uh reiterate and underscore that especially in a situation where uh you have employees if it's just you and a partner or family member or whatever it's maybe a little less important it kind of depends but i would say beyond more than two people you should have some kind of like to-do list that is easy to you know uh, easy for everybody to see, essentially. And that could be, you know, a lot of farms will have like a whiteboard in their pack shed with the list of things that they need to do. I personally love the to-do because you can have it on your phone. So when you're out in the field, you can check, well, today I need to harvest 30 bunches of kale and 50 bunches of radish and on and on for all the vegetables. So it's just really easy for people to to access on the go. Um, so I would just 
underscore that as just a system and a tool for keeping track of jobs on the farm. And uh, depending on your personality, I'm kind of in this camp where sometimes I get a little in my head about all the stuff that I need to do. Um, But then when I actually write it down in my to-do list, it's like three things. I'm like, oh, well, that's actually not that bad. It's out of my head now. And, you know, it's not as overwhelming as it felt like it was. Um, So I would, I think it's a useful tool. I can't imagine farming, especially with employees without that anymore. And I mean, I just use it for my own personal Mm -hmm. to-do list as well. So I would just uplift that. Do you, do you like have some sort of prioritization thing where like need to do, you know, want to do would be nice to do if we had time, you know, kind of so that people know where to go when and what? Yes. Yeah. Um, you can like rearrange your list in the Microsoft to do app. Uh, and that just populates to everybody. So everyone sees like the same order. Uh, and so I order everything in most important to least important so that, Mm -hmm. you know, start at the top of the list and check these things off. Um, and then, you know, if we get through all the most Mm -hmm. important stuff, um, then we go on to these other jobs that I know need to get done, but aren't as important. Um, but basically my general thought is like, you know, if it's making us money, directly by doing the task then we're doing that task first so harvesting you know harvesting is usually always the first thing we do every day um and then it's on to more um i guess i kind of use that that thought process um so like saving a crop uh by weeding it would be another like high priority task because you know we can weed it get rid of these weeds and then we have our you know can be more confident that this crop will actually produce something that we can sell and kind of on and on until you know you get to the jobs where it's like well it'd be really nice if all of our landscape fabric was organized we could do this but it doesn't like directly give us any money yeah. it just like makes things like slightly more efficient and organized yeah. so yeah yeah no that makes sense is there anything else that's coming to mind i think i no not really i think that's about it i mean I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I don't want to, you know, go too, too long too, you know? Yeah. Nope. That sounds great. Well, I don't remember if I asked you in the last time, uh, the last part one of this, but where can people find you and where can they reach out and learn? Sure. Yeah. Uh, So our farm website is Cedar Crate Farm. That's crate as in a wooden crate, uh, not a creek like a river. Um, and you can email me at dan at Cedar Crate Farm or dan at sfa-mn.org. I'd be happy to answer any questions or provide links to resources too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe just a, a reminder that I think you mentioned you're going to be doing more on-farm consulting work type stuff with SFA. So is that, am I wrong? And I can cut this out if I'm wrong, but if so, you maybe tell people what people can look to you for from our information right yeah so it's a little bit contingent upon uh funding but what okay. i would like to do is do on-farm consulting uh or one-on-one consulting with farmer specialty crop growers in particular sure. uh, about a lot of what we talked about today about um sort of business management mm-hmm. record keeping and those kinds of things and how you can use those tools uh, to be more profitable on your on your farm you know, I'm not going to tell you what to grow or how to grow per se. If you have a question on a specific crop, I'll answer it as best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really want to kind of look at people's businesses and try to offer insight about how they yeah. can make their business more profitable. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, hopefully that all 
funding goes through but thank you so much uh this was this was really really valuable i i have no doubt people learn a lot from this so thank you dan and uh, i appreciate it thanks jared had a lot of fun today thank you dirt rich is produced by the sustainable farming association if you enjoyed this podcast consider supporting us by making a donation or becoming a member at sfa-mn.org thanks for listening